welcome to this special episode as we kick off Women in Horror Month here in the dungeon. Uh, I'm your host, of course, Jamie Rigetti, and I'm joined as always here in the dungeon by... Chico Leo. (laughs) So as I said, February is two things. Uh, Of course, it's Black History Month, and um, it's also Women in Horror Month. So our uh, theme this month in general is to just kind of highlight women in horror, to highlight black horror, and to kind of intersectionalize the two whenever we can. Um, And we're going to do that on our Patreon as well. We're going to be giving you lots of posts that kind of touch on the two things. So um, if you have not signed up for Patreon, please consider. um, We're going to have some really good stuff up there, many podcasts and some articles. Um, And this month, um, we're we're kind of doing some stuff and we're opening it up to people to sign up for a dollar and get some access to things. So you might want to just give us a little support there. Um, but we're going to kick things off by talking about single mothers in horror. Single mothers are kind of a trope in horror, and I feel like there are lots of movies, of course we're going to touch on many of them, uh, which have to do with a mom and her kids. Um, but it's kind of interesting because I feel single moms get singled out. Single dads, not so much. So we're going to kind of unpack that with a couple different movies. Uh, Chico, you have any thoughts here? Yeah, I have a lot, actually. So (laughs) one of the things that's interesting is that single moms are both um, heroes and villains um, in in horror. They're not just on on one side, um, which which is interesting. And... um, I guess you could say they're they're also victims, but 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 not as not as much. I mean, they're they're usually either the hero or the villain, and when when they're the villain, there there actually is uh, you you have more empathy for them than you do uh, for you know sort of your typical quote unquote movie monster, um, and their villainy is often related to their single motherhood or their being unable to handle it. Um, yeah. And I, I, in, in, in real life, like there's an analog to that where, you know, often these crimes that are committed, you know, when like a mother drowns her kids in a lake or in a bathtub or drives, you know, 80 miles an hour down the wrong side of the highway, there's, there's not a lot of empathy for the mother because the crime, you know, anytime children get killed, the, uh, the, the the crime is considered to be that much more horrific. But um, I, I do think there is an analogy to the, the, the women in, in horror, the single mothers in horror who are, in fact, villains to those real life um, single moms who or they're often not single, but they, they can't handle it, basically, and they snap. And um, that is something that happens on on you know on the villain side in horror, and of course you have plenty of of hero single moms as well. But it is true we don't we don't get the single dad trope as much. And I know in real life with single parents, more there are more single mothers out there than there are single fathers. Yeah, it's interesting because I think you touched on something. Um... I think the single mom trope really plays into the idea that women, well, there's two things going on. It's such a complicated relationship because in one sense, you certainly get the heroic aspect, like you're saying. Um, But what I think uh, single moms in horror, I think what the genre tends to do is um, twofold, is one kind of make this very subtle dig that without a man, the woman can't handle it. So there is very much this kind of commentary that, you know, um, women are going to fall apart, that they're not going to be able to handle things if they're on their own. Um, And 
I think there's also, which that also ties into the fact that there is still this idea of hysteria of women being overly emotional. Um, I think that's one of the reasons, as much as we love Final Girls, I think that's one of the reasons that women proliferate the horror genre is because watching a woman scream her head off in terror, it works better than a man doing it because of our societal um, gender, you know, uh, stereotypes about emotion. Men can't show that emotion of fear, or they can show fear, but to a limited extent, whereas women, we expect them to be screaming their head off. Um, and so I think that that still kind of ties into this single mom idea where you're seeing single moms who um, it's overwhelming and they, they lose it. You know, the, the emotions get so high that they'll get murderous because of it. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of this antiquated notion that's still being used, but we kind of don't care or maybe we just don't see it or I, I'm not really sure what it is, but it's still around. So you think of a single mom in horror, think of Reagan and, um, you know, uh, the exorcist in the seventies. That's a single mom. Chris, I think her name is. Yeah. And um, although I, can I just point something out? One of the interesting things mm-hmm. there, there's a class thing there. She actually, um, she's wealthy. And oh, yeah, so yeah. many of the single moms we see are in fact struggling. And of course in, in real life, you know, women get paid less Single moms are, in general, the it the in uh, you know the Winona Ryder her character Joyce mm, in uh, the Stranger, Stranger Things, Things is actually probably more true than um, in The Exorcist, but you know she's you know if you're a, a, a wealthy woman or a poor woman going up against the devil is still you know tough and but <laughs> but there it is interesting that she. The, the the class thing in does does play a little bit of a role there um you know she's got this really big nice house in this nice neighborhood and uh, you know she's got help around the house um when you compare that with um Joyce in Stranger Things um you know who's barely holding it together and lives in this very very small sort of unkempt house um you know that the, it it is it is worth pointing that out but it's interesting because I think regardless of class, I think there's still um, there's still a punishment aspect to it um, that is universal. And so um, in ter- I think what you're sa- what what you're saying is true. And I think that might tie into um, more of the ability to help their child and um, the aspect of losing it. But I think there's still this overarching idea that a single mom is going to get punished for being single. Um, And I think it kind of, for me in The Exorcist, um, if you look at in the earlier parts of the film, and I guess we'll just dive into The Exorcist, um, but in the early stages of the film, Reagan and Chris, again, Chris is like, as you mentioned, she is a movie actress. She's single. She's got this beautiful townhouse in in Georgetown. She's filming a movie. And there is very much this spirit of the 60s slash 70s, you know, 70s, of course, the divorce era, so to speak. Um, you know, single moms, working moms were becoming the norm. And there there was a very comfortable relationship between Reagan and Chris where they spoke pretty openly about things. She knew her mom was dating, you know, movie stars or whatever. There was kind of this frankness about sexuality and a normalizing of that lifestyle of feminine, you know, feminism and of being a mom who could, you know, just have her kid and not have to have a husband. Um, and it kind of, to me, has always felt like this 
weird and i under i know that reagan allegedly the idea is that because she was tampering with a ouija board um so there's that catholic aspect but i think also if we're talking about the exorcist as the ultimate membership recruiting pamphlet for the catholic church you can't discount the fact that she's a single mom and her kid gets possessed by a demon um and this idea that you're living this free life and you have to be punished for it um and and that to me is something that has always kind of come out in in rewatching that movie is that they have this very bohemian uh open kind of relationship and that's what happens yeah, I mean, I mean the, the the punishment thing is through a lot of these um, these characters. Um, oh, absolutely! You know, re- recently, um, in addition to Stranger Things with Joyce, um, the the thing that really struck me is um, the Babadook. That mm-hmm. that really is almost the epitome of of this theme, where I feel like um, you know the the single mother Amelia in that she's dealing with. Um, I'm not sure if you want to say he's like a special needs child, but he's definitely, he doesn't fit in. Um, but they have this really, really, really close relationship. Um, but, um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the idea, so the idea is that, that this book with uh, Mr. Babadook sort of sets off um, what she of she actually gets possessed but th- there's a lot going on both with um, there's almost like a punishment that she's getting punished for her grief. She's getting punished mm-hmm. for being a single mom. And even the idea she um, her, the the backstory is that the husband in the Babadook actually died on the night that the kid was born, that right. um, Samuel was born. Um, I also think that it it. Uh, really gets into the um, or at least the, there's an analogy at least that I saw in the movie for the difficulties of of single motherhood and when the mother starts getting possessed and starts you know quote unquote losing it um, it that's what made me think of like these mothers who kill that, that in, you know whether or not you believe that those women get possessed or whatever but the idea is she just couldn't couldn't handle dealing with this you know kid on her own and um again she has these visions of her husband and i think the baba duke actually appears to her as her husband at one point um but i found that you know throughout the the until the very end of the movie i sort of thought she was the villain and um, I thought it was her sort of breakdown was actually very harrowing. And, the you know, because really most of the movie is just her and her son. And um, I, you know, myself was raised by, you know, two single parents and much more with my mom than with my dad. But that whole sort of one on one thing where especially when you're an only child, where it's just you and one of your parents has definitely been sort of a defining thing, you know, throughout my life. But it, it really defines, you know, like you were talking about with Reagan and Chris or with Amelia and Samuel, like, you know, um, the, it, it really just is, you know, the family unit is just sort of two people. And, um uh, you know, as one of them sort of starts to turn, I, you know, at one point the, uh, the kid figures out that she's possessed and he screams, you know, you're not my mother at, at her. And, um, and they're actually trying their fight, you know, she's trying the, the Babadook through Amelia is trying to kill him. 
and he's got these weapons that he built to fight the Babadook and he's sort of using them against her. I mean, I definitely remember being a really little kid. He's six in, in the movie. And I remember being a really little kid when fighting with my parents and suddenly, you know, screaming, oh, you're not my father or you're not my mother, like that kind of thing. And um, I don't know. I, I actually, I, I, I found the Babadook to be really... Uh, you know, I I mean, it is a horror movie without a doubt, but it, it definitely psychologically got under my skin, you know, sort of more than, say, rings or something like that. Yeah, because I think it's also really making a statement about grief and about how, um, you know, sometimes as a parent, you don't have the time or the space to grieve, you know, so so I believe that she was at, they were on the way to the hospital. Yes, when, I, I, when right, he was, so yes, was giving, when the mother's yeah. in labor and right. got into an and accident so, or something and the father died. Right. So there really is this idea that so instantly she has to become both parents and become a new parent. And and she lost her husband and there's no space for her to grieve there. And so you can also look at it in a very metaphoric sense of, you know, um, not to spoil the end of the film, but, you know, what happens at the end can also kind of tie into her finding the space and the time for herself to grieve. Um, and just this idea that if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. I mean, there really is. There's so many layers to this film, which I really love. Um, also female director, which is really cool. So I think the handling of, of, you know, a single mom and grief really works better here. Um, but it's just, it's really interesting when you kind of peel away the different layers that are, are kind of inside of this horror movie, which of course that's what we do here. But, um, but I think it's a prime example of that. And it also reminded me a bit of, um, Goodnight Mommy, which we spoke about on our Killer Kids episode, um, and just, again, that idea of not recognizing a parent because they're grieving. And when grief changes a parent, um, it changes the relationship with a child, which can always be misinterpreted as, as a possession or you're not my mom, but it's grief. You know, grief is really doing and, something. And Amelia has repressed her grief. Like, she won't yes. allow people to mention her husband's name. She still right. hasn't herself come to grips with it. And it's also an issue for Samuel. He's playing with his cousin. And his cousin starts making fun of him for not having a father. And he pushes the cousin out of the tree house and causes her to break her nose in two places. And it's and I think the other kids at school, uh, he, he gets into it with them over over not, you know, not having a father is is a whole thing. Um and so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's really something with the repression of grief and that the Babadook is in some ways or many ways a manifestation of the the grief that has not been let out or addressed that has sort of taken root in her brain and, 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 and fucked her up for, for lack of a, of, a, of a better analogy. Oh, well, I was going to sidetrack for a second because... We touched on this earlier, and I just want to throw this in here before we move on, because as we said, um, you see single moms throughout horror. What's kind of interesting to me about the Babadook is this is a widow. This is someone who lost her husband, and we kind of see that through flashbacks. Um, and so I always find it interesting to compare Babadook to Signs, um, because in Signs, you, f you have a single dad, which is a rarity. 
who is also a widow. So you have two single widows taking care of their kids, and the treatment is so vastly different. In Signs, she's on her own. And so, yeah, she's got her sister, but her sister, that relationship isn't great. And, you know, the cousin, as you said, there's that conflict. Um, And so in terms of, like, family, Amelia's really on her own. Um, She's very estranged, and she's isolated. Um, And in Signs, you have Mel Gibson, who's playing a pastor who has lost his faith because he watched his wife die in this car accident. And um, he's got two cute kids. They're not really creepy or annoying. And he's got um, his brother, Joaquin Phoenix, who lives with them. So he's got this, like, family base. And he's also got children that you instantly find adorable and, you know, you want to root for. And so the one son has asthma and the other daughter's this quirky, cute kid. And it's interesting how um, the things that the children have, so the asthma in the end saves the one kid's life. The daughter leaving glasses of water around conveniently, like, that's how they defeat the aliens. There's kind of this real family unit where everybody's unique characteristics come together, and in the end, they're able to defeat the monster, um, become stronger as a family unit, you know, dad gets his faith back, and there's this really happy ending. That doesn't happen in the Babadook. You see this unraveling. You see estrangement and isolation. You see a kid who's becoming even more kind of aggressive and, you know, terrible. And then the ending isn't a happy ending either. Um, The ending is a very dark ending. And it's just kind of interesting that in the rare chances that you get a single dad, um, it's always a happier, they, they always get, they have a fuller deck to play with. And there is more resolution and peace than you do see in any of these other stories. See, I, I don't, I mean, I maybe the, the ending of the Babadook isn't happy, but I, I think that, you know, basically they are reunited um, and not in death or anything weird like that, but they are reunited here, you know, in, in the real world, um, you know, and, and are able to basically move on and... Uh, I, you know, I, I think, again, if you use the analogy of the grief, you know, the grief will always be there, but they are, they have figured out how to move on with their lives and to have, you know, their their relationship, the mother and the son and, uh, at the very end is sort of what their relationship was at the beginning. I mean, they're hanging out, you know, they they seem happy, you know, the kid is doing magic tricks for the for the mom, they're they're definitely a team once again and yes this thing is still with them and might always be with them but they are now they have now figured out how to control it how to master it how to you know they they're the boss it is not the boss and so that you know if if you use the uh the 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 grief um analogy um I think another thing uh, about the father thing, though, there, there there is the the hapless single dad. I'm thinking about like uh, Tom Cruise's father in uh, War of the Worlds, or um, if uh, if you go to the Patreon, you can hear uh, me and Leo Fairman talking about uh, frailty, where Bill Paxton is the father, and while he's not, in fact, hapless, the there is there is a uh, a a very big twist in the movie that reveals you know sort of there was something under his nose the whole time that he did not that he didn't realize that ultimately makes him out to be a sort of big bigger fool than anyone else um 
But um, yeah, I mean, clearly there there, there definitely is a, a difference in the uh, in in the treatment of the um, of single moms and and single dads. Um, and well, there's also there's also the brood, right, right. Which I know we've spoken about in the past, but in the brood, dad gets to be triumphant, and mom is kind of the villain. Well, mom is the villain for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she is. She is the villain, but at the same time, like I would empathize with her because, like. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I think I think moms always tend to, even when the hero, it's a complicated hero where dads get to be heroes. Right. Period. And that's true too, actually. In uh, in War of the Worlds, what you're saying, I mean, basically, the mom is made out to be this, you know, villain who, you know, we only see her at the in the very beginning and the very end, and she's sort of this shrewish, nagging character. And you know, Tom Cruise is, you know, he he's not able to deal with his kids but of course he's the hero because he you know fights the martians and blah 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 blah, blah and and all of that and and it becomes his story and um even though he ends up losing both of his kids in the movie um although of course miraculously they both survive um he uh you know he you're you're, you're at, that actually plays out exactly like that whereas the mom is this sort of nagging shrew who goes to hide with her boyfriend in boston while tom cruise is facing down against the uh right. against the martians of course um you know we've got you know there are the villainous um the other villainous moms i mean you could say Car- carrie's mom in some ways is like the dark side of the mom and the baba duke um oh yeah you know, she is, you know, the mom and the Baba Duke. If if she had never been able to get her grief under control, if she had never been able to, you know, and she uh, she certainly is the I mean, there are many Carrie as the protagonist has many antagonists, but none of them are as, you know, strong as as her mom. There's something really interesting about Carrie and the other villainous mom that, of course, comes to mind would be uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Um, what I find slightly interesting about the both of these women is that they are villains. Um, but what I love about horror is how it allows women to subvert the roles that society expects of them. And so, one, they're they're good moms, technically, on paper. Uh, but, of course, when we watch it play out on the screen, it's horrific. So, you know, Mrs. Voorhees, she's just trying to find justice for her son. She's being, you know, she's honoring the memory of her son. Of course, that means she's stalking and murdering all these kids. But if you really want to take it for what it is, you know, she's just trying to make sure her son's death wasn't in vain, which is kind of funny if you think about it. Um, Same thing with Margaret White, where she's um, just trying to be a good Christian mom. She's raising her child the way, you know, half of middle America probably would expect i guess i don't you know um but you know she's kind of just raising her kid as a good bible thumper of course it's one of the most terrifying things in the entire world but you know if you take it strictly on face value it's funny that these are moms who are doing what society tells them they should be doing and yet we see the results of that yeah i mean uh related to that also i would throw in there obviously the original you know, bad movie mom who, in fact, we never see on screen, but mm. Norma Bates, Absolutely. Um, you know, and without sort of bringing in any of the um, sort of retconning that has been done in the relationship with Norma and sure. Norman uh, on, on the Bates Motel. 
And that's mostly just because I haven't seen that. I've been saving that. I don't know if uh, if you've watched that, but I mean, I've watched a little bit, but we could stick to yeah. So in the original, that's you know. yeah. It, it it it. I mean, she. I mean, you know what? You know his his quote. I mean, you know, a boy's best friend is his mother. Um, Absolutely. She might have been a little a uh, little too. Either he's a little too uh, too weak, or you know, ultimately he could never get over her death, or. You know, it's never clear that did did he, you know did she henpeck him to to the to to the point that he killed her and then he couldn't handle it, so he he took over her you know over her you know he added her persona to his mind or did she die and he snapped and couldn't handle it? You know, it, it's it's sort of it's it's not clear, but um, you know, I think that she she belongs in there with Margaret and uh, and and Pamela Voorhees, and I I agree. I mean, I I've always said I I think it was a tremendous mistake for them to make Jason. You know, retroactively as of the second movie, they make Jason the villain when Jason never really appears in the first Friday the Thirteenth, except in this sort of very weird sort of dream thing at the very end which is most likely a hallucination that it is Pamela Voorhees is the villain and her motivation is very real. She's out here trying to get revenge on these stupid kids who let her son die. You know, they weren't watching. He went swimming and he drowned. And I, I've always thought that that original um, concept has been really diluted and ruined by the idea of them just making it, oh, it's Jason and he's the slasher. And then like in the third or fourth movie, they give him superpowers. And But I really, 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 I, I, I regret that they went away from the original. And if they had, you know, uh, somehow figured out how to either bring Pamela Voorhees back from the dead or something. I, I don't know how they could have continued it or maybe they shouldn't have continued it. But I think that she's a very sort of special, unique character of the mother who is still trying to protect her son even after he's dead or to if not protect him to you know protect his memory to get vengeance in his name that that's something that you usually see dads doing i mean that's a perfect example of what of what you were talking about about the double the double standard in death wish charles bronson's family gets murdered and he just starts going out and killing he becomes a vigilante and just starts killing random street hoods and he's a hero pamela voorhees does exactly the same thing that charles bronson does and yet she's this ultimate villain and she does it in a better context in some ways because at least she's doing place where he yes absolutely yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, i think that's a really really good point is is you can't become the hero you have to be the villain as a mom there's no such thing as justice or vengeance look at look at stranger things look at how the older son the older brother who's basically a decent kid look how he relates to the to the two parents she's giving everything I mean, she's doing 150%, you know, walking backwards with a blindfold to raise her two kids. And the deadbeat father is out there. You know what I mean? Like, like that guy should be excoriated. I mean, I guess he is to a certain degree. Um, the son isn't going out there and being like, oh, hey, you're a great dad and all that. But the idea that he gives him sort of any any credence at all as, as, as a parent. I mean, there, there's the... You know, this guy gets to go out there and do whatever he wants and lives live his life. Meanwhile, Joyce in Stranger Things is is literally 
giving 110% for her kids, including, you know, going trying to go into another dimension to get her son back. <laughs> and and there's, there's certainly an aspect to, um, you know, he does defend his mom. He does kind of stick up for her and he definitely, you know, tells his dad what he is and all that. But I think he's, he certainly is embarrassed by his mother. He's embarrassed by his situation. And so there's kind of, there, it's it's a it's always a tainted win for for single moms where you know he's certainly appreciative of what she does but he's also embarrassed by right. it because because he doesn't live in a really nice house and have brand new things and you know so there's there's always a kind of I mean I think it's real I think it certainly is uh, reflective of the situation but it's kind of you know as you kind of pointed out his dad gets to live it up and you know he's his mom is trying her hardest and it's not good enough. Um, and that's had it just kind of is how it is, but it's shitty, you know. But I did have a thought before that I'm just going to bring up now because I, I just think it's funny. But can you even imagine like Death Wish, but it's Pamela Voorhees going out and like getting revenge all over town? How badass would that be? I mean, be? it would be badass, but I would even say, isn't that Miss 45? Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, I guess no, I mean, of, you know, yeah. it's not exactly the same thing, but there is yeah. a little. A little corner of, you know, the sort of moviedom with the, the rape revenge, um, you know, Miss 45, you know, um, Lady Snowblood. But not, but not, so, but I think it's never, it's always uh, tied to rape. It's never tied to. Oh, the, you're right. It isn't tied to a mother going, I mean, it literally right. is. I mean, Pamela Voorhees is actually the closest one of something like that. You're, you're, you're 100% right. Um, I would say the other, the other thing that's similar to it is uh, Last House on the Left. Right. But that's still, it's not just her. I mean, it is, it's parents. It's not just a mom, so. No, and they're not, and they're getting revenge on in that on the actual people who did, yes. who did the crime. Yeah. It's not like this thing where Charles Bronson, you know, just right. goes out and starts killing bad guys and Pamela Voorhees just goes out and starts killing young counselors at Camp Crystal Lake. Um, you're yeah. right. I mean, uh, yeah, so budding uh, budding screenwriters out there. I mean, that, <laughs> that's it, it right there. I mean, that that is absolutely the, the, the movie. I mean, because... They did, um, they just kind of, Paramount just knocked off the next Friday the 13th uh, movie. So, guys, get on it. Get your, get it back on Paramount Slate. Just uh, write that. You're welcome. Yeah. No, I, 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 you're right because there is the, the notion of the, the single mom as the tigress, the lioness, you know, defending her, you know, defending her, her, her pride, so to speak. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we, we haven't seen that, you know, um, in the sense of, we see it from the defensive on like the notion of, um, you know, in, in Stranger Things or The Exorcist or Baba Duke, when something comes in and, um, you know, they fight, they, they're able to fight it off. But what about when the something comes in and they can't fight it off and they're left alone with nothing but their vengeance? Yeah, like Taken, but with mom. Right, that exactly. So cool. Exactly. Yeah. come on. Let's do this. Absolutely. Holly in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, I think, as you said, you know, dads get to be the hero. Moms are either a lackluster supporting 
person who kind of then at the end gets to stand with the ashes or mom is the villain. Well, there's kind of no mom is the hero. It's also like the, the shell Silverstein story, the giving tree. I mean, the, you know, motherhood Mm. is, you know, you give everything. You literally are carrying the, the child inside your body and they're eating you up from inside from, from day one, you know, um, and then you are, you know, literally nursing them, supporting them with your, you know, I mean, milk, mother's milk is essentially just like white blood. And uh, and and then you give everything. And at the end, you know, you're a stump. You know, you give your branches, you give your leaves, you give your, uh, you know, your your all. And, and then you give your your trunk and, and, and then you're you're just a stump. And at the end, you're just a stump that they can sit on. And um it's uh you know it is a uh i myself thought of the giving tree a lot while my mother was in the hospital at the end and uh i mean it it is and and there's a lot there's a lot of the uh you know you 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 have a lot of these thoughts when 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 it's too late um and uh i think that is reflected somewhat in some of the characterizations in these movies i mean it would be interesting to sort of dig deep and find out what I mean, actually, I'm, I know that, you know, Carrie, which was written by Stephen King, I mean, it was his first novel. Stephen King was raised as a as a by a single mother who really I think he had three or four siblings and she really had a hard time keeping it together. His father went out, quote unquote, for a pack of cigarettes when he was two years old and never came back. And, um, you know, it would be interesting to know how many of what the relationships a lot of these uh, creators had with in with their mothers um i know that you know he was raised in maine and has lived in maine his whole life but there was a period that he didn't and i know he returned i'm pretty sure to take care of his dying mother and then stayed there ever after you know and i don't know if that's you know apocryphal or what but it would be interesting to know in in, in all of these circumstances what people how much of this is people working out there relationships with their with their dead mothers a la norman bates and how much of it is just sort of using that 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 you know trope yeah that's true <laughs> um wow yeah damn that's that's kind of heavy <laughs> uh well um, i don't know on, on on that note should we uh <laughs> should 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 we leave it till till next time when we come to yeah, celebrate the um, other uh the other the other side of uh february yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're going to, of course, honor Black History on our next episode. But as I said at the top of the show, um, you know, please check out our Patreon because we're going to be posting a lot of things that honor women in horror, uh, that honor Black History Month, and, you know, of course, uh, African Americans in horror. Um, but, yeah, we're going to throw some really cool stuff up on uh, on Patreon, get more mini podcasts up. We, I hope you guys like Los Leos again. Uh, and we made that free for everyone so that you can just get a kind of a taste of what's on Patreon. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at the Scream Squad. Also, special shout out to Super Bad Larry who created a really cool T-shirt for us. Um, we have that up on uh, Twitter, and uh, you guys can get a Scream Squad T-shirt. Let everybody know that you're part of the squad. So thank you again, Super Bad Larry, for a really really cool design. And um, go support him. It's Black History Month. He's a black designer and uh, part of the squad. So give him some love. But yeah, so uh, come check us out there. We'll do more women in horror. We'll do Black History Month. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening as always. Keep screaming.